Good morning. It's Tuesday, February 23rd, and I'm Maya Wimala from Blue Lotus Temple, usually. <laughs> That's the temple I've been with for oh, since the time I first became, uh, since a few years before I took my first ordination. So that feel, always feels like home, whether I'm op operating out of my own uh, little apartment or doing things through them. I wanted to start today with a beautiful, um, we're, we're finishing up our book by Pema Chodron, Welcoming the Unwelcome. And we're gonna have, we'll have one more class in two weeks. We had a class yesterday. And uh, what we'll do at our last class is kind of wrap up with any thoughts anyone has that they haven't had a chance to mention or emphasize. And then we will um, pick, a, pick the next book. I think most everyone wants to continue. Um, so please feel free to join us. And uh, whether you've been in the group before or whether it's the first time, you can still, you can certainly still have an opinion about a, another book to read. And we're open, we're very open to, what, to whatever. But in the last, in one of the last chapters, which is called Mission Impossible, <laughs> which is, you know, living, living, um, this, here's the, the quote at the beginning of the chapter. Instead of seeing it as futile or depressing, we can see the limitlessness of the job ahead of us as a source of continual inspiration. That's wonderful. And uh, the first thing she mentions in this chapter is also um, a traditional, it's just a four line, almost like a mantra, but it would be something, uh, she says she likes to begin by asking everyone to recite these lines with her. And uh, Todd Nielsen told us this is a very typical with the Tibetan uh, teachers he knows on the Tibetan path, they would either begin or end their talks with this, and usually in Tibetan. But I think the English is fine, and I'd like to use it because I think it's beautiful. It it's, reminds me of Shanti Dewa's The Way of the Bodhisattva, and my wish that we often, that I often read and that we uh, even you, we use at the temple, is is the same uh, kind of a, a different kind of condensation of the entire bodhi, bodhisattva path. And Pema Chodron talks about bodhicitta, which just means uh, that awakening heart and heart mind. So it's that awakening that eventually leads to liberation. <clears throat> And part of that is also that caring for others, caring for ourselves, that entire kind of give and take <clears throat> that we need to have in the world to be truly happy. So I'd like to start with that. I haven't memorized it yet. May bodhicitta, precious and sublime, arise where it has not yet come to be. And where it has arisen, may it never fail. 
but grow and flourish ever more and more. It's lovely. And then she says these lines summarize the entire Bodhisattva path. The journey we undertake to awaken our hearts and minds so that we can be of greater and greater benefit to others. And we also need to include we're of greater benefit to ourselves. And that's what allows us to be of benefit to others. And these good thoughts, we need to have these good thoughts out in the world, that kind of energy. So, and, and whether you want to take the bodhisattva path or not, the bodhi, bodhicitta is that concept of that heart awakening. So, that's uh, just a beautiful expression of our intention. So, this is another one of Ashin Tejaniya's books. I looked back on my records <clears throat> and I saw that uh, they send the books for free, but if you want to make a donation, you can. And it's these books are fine, fine books of Dhamma and talking about important top topics and very readable. So, it's well worth a donation to uh, have these in your library. And most of them are the kind, these are essentially the kinds of books you can just open and spend a few minutes if you want to, or just uh, enjoy sitting with it. You could just keep going from, you know, every every uh, few pages is a new topic, so there you can read them individually or just enjoy a whole handful of them. So I thought I would open it to something random and then share it. <clears throat> okay, so he's talking about um, how to uh, what is mindfulness meditation, which can be. A, an extremely broad topic. Excuse me, I'm, my throat's froggy today. And he talks about, as we always talk about an object, and we typically will start with our breath when we're learning. But then the next topic is use any object to develop awareness. So it's not limited to the breath. Which is better, watching the breath or watching the abdomen? We've done both, right? Watching the breath or watching the abdomen rise and fall. Neither is better than the other. They're the same. You should not prefer one over the other. If you do, you are attached to an object. The object at the nostrils is an object. The object at the ab abdomen is an object. Sound is an object. Heat is an object. And vipassana, or insight. The eyes are one sense door and the ears are another sense door. Can you become aware with any object? Can you start with sounds? Do you have to go looking for sounds? Aren't they always there? 
you can know that there is sound. Take whatever object is available. There's no need to look for very subtle objects. Then a short uh, quote. Vipassana uses any object to develop awareness. And sati, or mindfulness, another word for mindfulness is awareness. Vipassana uses any object to develop awareness, stability of mind, which is samadhi, and wisdom, panya. Though any object can help us develop that awareness, stability of mind, and wisdom. That's what we're looking for. A meditator with awareness plus wisdom will use any object to develop sati, samadhi, and panya instead of growing in craving, aversion, or delusion. Those three poisons that we're always circling around. That's why I'm doing that. The mind will grow in strength as you practice with ease and consistent awareness. Remember that the object is not important the observing mind with the right attitude is more important. The mind has to be alert and interested. Dhamma practice is mind work, which means the mind has to have awareness. It also has to be alert and interested in studying itself. But because of our habitual tendency to pay more attention to what is happening out there, we often, very often, forget to check ourselves. That is why we have to keep asking and reminding ourselves in order to maintain awareness. Momentum comes from practicing moment by moment. We want the kind of mindfulness that keeps going without a break so that we eventually have a natural momentum of awareness. Using a simile, we don't want the type of fire that burns in a flash. We want a long-lasting fire from durable materials like wood or coal. Maybe not coal. What is a good time for meditation? Many meditators have this idea that their meditation begins when they hear the bell. That's not so. The bell is there only to remind you. The right time to practice is from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night. When you wake up in the morning, <coughs> excuse me, when you wake up in the morning, check yourself. Is the mind clear? Does it feel refreshed? Is it still sleepy? You wake up, but you want to continue sleeping. Is that difficult to know? Can you know all these? You just have to ask yourself. So that's beginning our practice. You are practicing to know the mind and body. Let whatever happens, happen. It is not important. The mind's work is to know and acknowledge which can happen in any posture or activity. Sitting on the cushion does not necessarily mean you are practicing. Some yogis sit and fall asleep while others sit and daydream away. Is this considered meditation? 
now we're going to let's we'll practice for the rest of the time but um, let me use this next part I'll read this next part while we're sitting so and if you're being aware of listening to me that's part of your meditation practice or whatever we're aware of becomes our meditation, right? So if we're aware of daydreaming, do we want our daydreams to be our meditation? Probably not. And I love before we, I wanted, I was just kind of struck. I loved what he says in this pair. What is a good time for meditation? He says, you are practicing to know the mind and body. Let whatever happens, happen. It is not important. So whatever's happening outside of us actually has no importance to us at all. It's how our mind reacts to it. The mind's work is to know and to acknowledge, which can happen in any posture or activity. Okay, so let's sit, and I'm going to use his words just to put some questions out uh, to help you with awareness. Let's see how this does. In this practice, we don't focus, control, exert, restrict, or interfere. These actions are motivated by defilements like craving, aversion, or delusion. So now just keep right now as we begin. Find your posture and be aware of your body breathing. We have very often used a lot of wrong effort to get what we wanted or or intend or tended to exert a lot of energy to get rid of something we've also done things blindly when we weren't sure what to do with this practice you just wait and watch with intelligence what can you know naturally while you are sitting You are not focusing or looking at any special object. You are aware, and now you observe yourself. Are you aware that you are seated? What is happening in your body? What can you know naturally? Expanding abdomen, contracting abdomen, heat, sounds, smells. Are you aware of your palms touching? Aren't your arms 
tired? How much effort do you need to know seeing, <clears throat> hearing, heat, cold, touching, or tiredness? Do you need to focus to know any of these? Is that tiring or difficult? See how easy observing is? Would it be tiring to practice like this all day? Ask yourself if you are aware and then begin the sitting or walking meditation. It is the nature of the mind to naturally take up the object at once, the object at once, and will know as much as it is able to know. Keep checking when you are sitting, walking, eating, or doing daily activities. The mind can know what it wants, can't it? This knowing naturally is easier on you. Trying to find the object you want, that you want, requires energy. Now, stay in your meditation. I'm just going to read what seems to be appropriate to think about or to just let settle in as you're sitting with your object. Remember that awareness alone is not enough. There has to be wisdom present in the awareness. So, should you think or not think while practicing? You should be watchful of the kinds of thoughts that will increase craving, aversion, or delusion. When people say there shouldn't be thinking, they are referring to defilement-motivated thinking. Of course, you can't help your thoughts. They arrive naturally, but you don't help these defilement-motivated thoughts to grow even more. You can't stop, you don't stop all sorts of thinking. You should think about the Dhamma you have heard, information you've read here, and reflect on the work you are doing, and consider how you are practicing. This kind of thinking will help wisdom grow. This information I'm reading right now will be working in the mind when you are practicing and you use the theory along with your own intelligence to work skillfully with the situation at hand. Utilizing the good qualities of the mind, 
our mindfulness, effort, wisdom. And applying intelligence is the work of mindfulness meditation. You need to pay attention to the observing mind if you want to understand the truth. Regularly check on how you are practicing. Your wisdom, can wisdom arise in the presence of craving, aversion, or delusion in the observing mind? What attitude is the mind practicing with? Check your attitude regularly. Don't be fixated on experiences. They will rise according to their nature and they only serve to keep the awareness. A wise yogi uses the six sense objects to develop awareness, stability of mind and wisdom for those who are not so mature, the same objects will only increase craving, aversion, and delusion. An object is just an object. If you perceive one object to be better than another, you will naturally become attached to the preferred object Later, when you can't pay attention to that specific object, you may find that you are not able to practice. Believing that an object is good is really delusion at work. Objects will always present themselves according to their nature. Your work is to develop awareness. You are not trying to change anything that is happening, but you are working to strengthen and improve the mind that is not yet strong in awareness. Right now, there's little stability of mind, wisdom is weak, effort feeble, and faith lacking. Meditation is the work of cultivating and strengthening the spiritual faculties of mindfulness, concentration, effort, faith, and wisdom. In this meditation, we practice to know 
whatever is happening, instead of trying to make the mind still, we just acknowledge and observe the agitation with the right attitude. Because we want to learn about the nature of the mind and objects. We don't try, we don't work and try to calm the mind down or try to remove objects. We don't interfere or control, but we observe because we want to understand the mind and objects in their natural state as they are happening. This is right view. As such, we don't try to remove aversion when it arises. We are not trying to get rid of aversion. As soon as we try to push aversion away, there is more aversion. Aversion is always negative, having the quality of pushing something away. We are observing aversion because we want to know its true nature. This is what it means to meditate. Merely knowing one aspect of an experience will not lead to any insight. The data is still incomplete and wisdom is still weak. It is important to study everything that happens and to be able to know all objects. So we work with any object that arises. There is no need to create experience or to keep our attention on one particular object. We need to use our wisdom along with awareness to learn about whatever is happening in that moment. Only then our view broadens, our horizon expands, and wisdom develops. Or watch out for craving that can arise subtly in the form of attachment for or aversion to objects. Take a step back and observe using the investigative mind with the right attitude working in the background. And here are the questions that you can have. What is happening? Is what is happening good or bad? Is it really good or bad? Is it right or wrong? 
Why is it happening? Because you want to understand what is happening, you observe and investigate with intelligence. The inclination to know is already there in the mind. The observing mind with the right attitude and investigative faculties needs to be present. So you now understand a little more about the difference between focusing versus waiting watching and observing with wisdom. So we have to end for today. Thank you. I hope that the last section for our meditation with me reading is his process and suggestions for meditation. I hope that didn't interfere in your practice. I hope it allowed you to to sit with those things and see how you can integrate that into your own practice. Make it, make everything be, everything is possible as an object. Anything that comes into us through our senses and Like he says, we don't have to go out and look for anything. This work, we work with whatever is there already for us to to just be with, to observe, to investigate. So thank you all so much. I'll see you Thursday. Take care. Be very, be very safe.